Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open our minds to understand the scripture before us this morning. Amen. Would you please be seated? Our passage this morning, as we hear from the living God in his word, is Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. It's not an easy passage, I don't think. Paul's argument is dense, and it's sometimes hard to understand how everything he's saying fits together. But it's an important passage. An important passage for our understanding of Romans, and an important passage for our understanding of ourselves. Because in this passage, Paul talks about sin and about our experience as sinners. His main point, I think, and the main point of this sermon, is simply that we are all still sinners. Our passage is about sin and our experience of sin, as sinners. But it begins with Paul asking a rhetorical question about the law. That's his way into his main point. So let's follow his argument together. Working through the text, we won't exactly go verse by verse, but section by section. Beginning with that rhetorical question at the start of verse 7. You have it there in your bulletin in front of you. Verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? So what's Paul talking about here? Well, if you think back to what Paul has said so far in this letter to the Romans, it might seem like every time he's had something to say about the law, it's been kind of negative. Paul has emphasized that we can't ever be justified, made right with God, by the law. Only by faith through Jesus Christ. And if we've been justified by faith, Paul told us, then we're no longer under the law, but under grace. In our passage last week, Paul even went so far as to tell us that through Jesus, we've been set free from the law and died to the law. So hearing all that, it might be easy to get the idea that the law is the problem. The law is bad. And grace and faith are the solution but fix everything. But here in this passage, Paul is anxious to correct that misunderstanding. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. He doesn't want us to even go there. The problem isn't the law. Of course not. The law, Paul says in verse 12, is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Of course it is. God gave it. God gave the law to his people, and God doesn't give his people bad gifts. The problem isn't the law. So what is the problem? Sin. Now, Paul wants to make a careful distinction here, because there is a really close relationship between the law and sin. But it's not that the law is sinful or evil in itself. That couldn't be, right? Instead, what happened is that sin seized an opportunity through the commandment. Paul uses that expression twice in our passage. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment. We could think of sin as like a parasite or a hijacker. It takes something that's good, but it uses it, it misuses it for evil ends. How exactly has sin done this with the law? 
Paul gives us a concrete example in verses 7 and 8. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You probably know that commandment that Paul is talking about. You shall not covet. That's number 10 in the Ten Commandments. Well, coveting, of course, means wanting to have something that's not yours to have. The classic examples are your neighbor's house or your neighbor's spouse. They're not yours to have. Now, here's what would happen if I wasn't a sinner. If I wasn't a sinner and I heard that commandment of God, you shall not covet. If I wasn't a sinner, I would receive God's commandment joyfully and obediently. Knowing that God is my creator and my king, that he has a perfect right to tell me how to live, and trusting that he is perfectly loving and good, I would right away say, Amen, without even needing to think about it. I wouldn't even need to think about it before I began to obey. But I would think about it. I would use my mind not to criticize God's law, but to understand it more deeply so that I could delight in it more fully. My mind, unclouded by sin, would see the perfect justice of this commandment. Yes, I can see that there are some things that are meant for me and other things that are meant for other people. And what a disaster it would be if I started to covet those things that aren't meant for me. Nothing good would come of that. Thank you, God, for teaching me not to do this. My mind would agree with God's law. My heart would delight in God's law. And my whole being would live out God's law. If I wasn't a sinner, when I heard God's commandment, it would become the operating principle of my life. And even if my neighbor had a really nice house or a really attractive spouse, I really wouldn't covet them. That's what it would be like if I wasn't a sinner. But, of course, I am a sinner. And we all are sinners. So none of us, nobody ever, really knows what it's like to live in the way I've just described. Except, of course, for Jesus. Jesus really did live like that here on earth. Every commandment that God gave his people, Jesus received joyfully and obediently. He not only approved it with his mind and delighted in it with his heart, but he actually lived it out with his whole being. Isn't this marvelous to think about? Jesus actually didn't covet. Jesus actually loved his neighbors more than he loved himself. We all know you're supposed to do stuff like that, but Jesus actually did it. Wild. It's impossible for us sinners to even imagine what it would feel like to live that way because it's so far from our actual experience. Our actual experience is something more like this. Because I am a sinner, when I heard the commandment of God, you shall not covet, here's what happened. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced all kinds of covetousness in me. 
Even before I heard the commandment, I was already a sinner, I was already a coveter, but I didn't really know it yet. But now that I know what coveting is, and now that I know that God forbids it, I'm coveting like crazy. Sin produced all kinds of covetousness in me. Why? What happened? What happened is, as Paul puts it in verse 13, that sin showed itself to be sin. And through the commandment became sinful beyond measure. Sin showed itself to be sin. It showed itself to be what it really is. Because now that I have the commandment, when I covet, I'm not just sinning against my neighbor. I'm also spitting in the face of God. Now I know that when I covet, I'm breaking the commandment of my creator and my king. That I'm acting contrary to the will of the one whose will is perfect goodness and justice. I know all that now, now that I've received the commandment. But guess what? I still covet. So sin has become sinful beyond measure. In fact, maybe I even covet because I know it's against God's commandment. As sinners, our hearts are so disordered that we're sometimes attracted to things just because we know they're forbidden. Have you ever had that experience? Have you ever done something just because someone told you not to do it? Well, as sinners, we all act that way toward God. This is really the height of foolishness and perversity. When we hear the commandment, you shall not covet, the sin dwelling in us bristles and says to God, don't tell me what to do. Leave me alone. That's an insane thing to say to God. But that's what's in the heart of every sinner. That's sin showing itself for what it really is. And so Paul says in verses 9 and 10, when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life to me proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. That's the ultimate outcome here. When the commandment came, sin killed me. In the sense that it revealed me for what I already was. Someone obstinately, pig-headedly resisting God and rejecting the path to life. The law promised life to those who would observe its commandments. But when the commandment came to me, sin made it clear that I am the very opposite of what I would need to be in order to have life. Sin killed me. Now, so far in our text, all the way through verses 7 through 13, in that first section, Paul has been using the past tense. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Right? All past tense verbs. So it sounds like he's describing the situation of the sinner before he knows Jesus. Describing what life was like for us before we came to know God's grace in Jesus Christ. But here's something surprising. When we come to verse 14, Paul switches from the past tense to the present tense. 
And he continues using the present tense all the way through the rest of our passage, all the way to verse 25, with one exception, which I'll tell you about later. So it seems like when we come to this second section of our passage, Paul is no longer talking about the way it used to be before he knew Jesus. Instead, he starts talking about the way it is now. About what it's like for him and for each of us to live even as Christians. And what Paul says about our present tense experience as Christians is frankly shocking. For we know that the law is spiritual, Paul says, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Wait, what? I am of the flesh sold under sin? How can that be the present experience of the Christian? Didn't Paul tell us just last week in chapter 6, you were slaves of sin, but now you have been set free from sin. And in chapter 8, which we'll hear next week, he tells us again that we've been set free in Christ Jesus. So if we've been set free from sin, how could it still be our present experience that we're sold under sin, that it dwells in us, that it constrains us from living out the law of God. Readers of Paul's letter to the Romans have puzzled over this apparent contradiction for centuries, but over and over again throughout history, the best Christian interpreters have come to the conclusion that yes, Paul really is saying both of these things. Both that in Jesus Christ, God has set us free from sin. And yet, that even after we come to faith, we're still constrained by sin. It seems strange to affirm both of these things. Maybe it would be easier to understand Paul if he only said one or the other. But he says them both, and he means them both. Let me read to you some bits and pieces of that second section, verses 14 to 25, because I want you to hear what it sounds like when Paul is describing his experience with sin as a Christian. I do not understand my own actions, he says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Notice, first of all, that there is a positive side to Paul's experience here. And he's presenting it as the common experience of all Christians. Here's the positive side. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, he says in verse 22. I delight in the law of God. I have the desire to do what is right. That's something new. That wasn't there in the first section, right? In that past tense section of our passage, the sinner wasn't delighting in God's law. The sinner was rejecting God's law. But now the sinner delights in God's law. The sinner wants to do what is right. That's a marvelous change. 
That's a change that comes from knowing Jesus. I wonder if you can recognize yourself in what Paul is saying there. Can you remember when you became a Christian, how you began to delight in God's law? When you became a Christian, you were full of energy and excitement to put away your old sinful habits and to start living a new life in accordance with God's will. You wanted to do what was right. But if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever wanted to live that way that Paul wants to live, then I'm sure you can also relate to the rest of what Paul is saying. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I want to do good, but somehow I keep on doing evil instead. I keep on doing the very thing I hate. If you've ever tried to live as a Christian for a few weeks or even a few hours, I don't think I'll need to try very hard to convince you that this is what it's like. This is part of the Christian experience. There's a sin in your life that you know you need to stop doing, and yet you just can't seem to stop. Or there's an old sin that you thought you had put away forever, but suddenly it rears its ugly head again. I don't think I need to convince you that this is part of the Christian experience. I do hope I can assure you that it's a normal part of the Christian experience. Now, I don't mean that it's okay. Sin is never okay. But it's not unexpected. When you sin after becoming a Christian, God is not surprised. He's not having second thoughts about you. Even when you just can't seem to get in that good habit or to break that evil habit, it doesn't mean you're not really a Christian or that you're not really right with God. On the contrary, actually, the frustration that Paul is describing in this passage that you and I feel when we fail over and over again to live up to God's law, to the thing we desire to do. That frustration is a sign of God's work in our lives. Your sin wouldn't bother you so much if God hadn't given you a new heart, one that delights in his law. In this life, that frustrating struggle with sin is a normal part of the Christian experience. And so it's an important part of our self-knowledge as Christians to know that we are still sinners. Not just that we used to be sinners before we knew Jesus, but that even now, even now that we're justified by faith, even now that we're reconciled to God, even now that we live under grace, yes, even now that we've died to sin, We're still sinners. Of course, this is not the whole story of the Christian experience, right? Just a part of it. There's another side to our experience too. Not just the frustrating experience of struggling with sin day by day, but also the glorious experience of walking day by day with the Holy Spirit. That's where Paul is taking us next week in chapter 8. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, you got to come to church next week because it's a wonderful chapter. In chapter 8, we walk with the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. God adopts us as his sons and makes us fellow heirs with Christ. It's great stuff. And of course, we all want to experience more of that side of the Christian life. That's good. 
But even as we grow in our experience of that aspect of the Christian life, never in this life will we outgrow Romans chapter 7. No matter how much you grow as a Christian, no matter how much fruit the Holy Spirit bears in your life, and he will, he will, but you will never in this life stop being a sinner. And so we need to know about ourselves what Paul knows about himself. He says it in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. Nothing good dwells in me. Not even an incy little bit. That's Paul talking. Paul, who is, after all, a pretty mature and impressive Christian, right? A missionary apostle, planting churches left and right, enduring persecution for his faith, writing books of the Bible. Even Paul has to confess, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's what we confess to every Sunday in our liturgy, and I hope you confess that every day in your private prayers. We confess that we're sinners. Not that we're basically good people with admittedly one or two faults. No, we confess that we are completely and utterly sinners. That any righteousness we possess is the gift of God by his grace, not the fruit of our own flesh or our own efforts. We'll confess our sinfulness later this morning before we come to communion. And guess what? Next Sunday, we'll confess it again because it will still be true. This is the main point of today's sermon. It has to be part of our ongoing self-knowledge as Christians, part of how we think about ourselves every day of this life, that we recognize ourselves as sinners, totally unable to achieve righteousness on our own and totally dependent on God's grace. We can never forget this about ourselves. We can never move past it. We can never pretend that, oh yeah, I used to be like that, but I've gotten a lot better now. Everything's good. No, we need to remind ourselves today and every day of this life that we are sinners and to humble ourselves before God. It's, of course, only when we confess the depth of our sin that we can know the true depth of God's grace that he's holding out for us every day. So know that you are a sinner. That's the main point of this sermon. But to finish off the sermon, I do have a second point, just a short one. I told you that every verb in this second section of our passage is in the present tense except one. Well, here it is. Are you ready? In verse 24, Paul cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Hear that? A future tense verb. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. In this life, you and I remain in that body of death. We remain in this state where sin wages a war against our heart's desire to serve God. We're not delivered from that body yet. But God promises through Jesus Christ that we will be. 
We desire to live completely in accordance with God's will. And in this present life, we'll never get there. We can hardly even imagine what that would be like. But one day, brothers and sisters, we will live like that forever. Just as surely as God has already raised Jesus from the dead, he promises us that when Jesus comes back, he will raise us from the dead. Not in a body like the one we have now, but in a body perfected and purified forever from sin. In that body, we will live with God in the same way that Jesus lives with him now. Not only delighting in God's law with our heart, but living it out. Loving God completely and enjoying him fully forever. We have to learn to say with Paul, wretched man that I am. But we can also say with him, even now, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.